Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Jan Swift, filling in for Christian Mader. Here's a not-so-fun fact. A family of four weighs $2,200 worth of groceries every year. Fortunately, there's a tasty way to solve that problem. Leftovers. Leftovers put the Thanksgiving turkey in your turkey sandwich or the Chinese takeout in your fried rice. Well, how about making sloppy joes out of yesterday's gumbo? Thinking outside the icebox is how my guest Suzanne Duplantis puts it. Suzanne is a blogger and cookbook author who reheated her career in the restaurant industry into a brand new dish. Her blog, Makeover My Leftover, walks readers through fun and easy to follow transformations of everyday foods. She baked that concept into a cookbook, Lanyap Leftovers, that serves up leftover fare with a Louisiana flair. Suzanne was born and raised in New Orleans and now lives in New Roads. Suzanne Duplantis, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me today. Yes. And on the other flip side, even a good plate of leftovers begins life on a farm somewhere. If fresh is your preference, then the Lafayette Farmers and Artisans Market at Moncas Park is the place for you. Our guest, Mark Hernandez, has been the director at the Moncas Park Market since the day it launched in 2013 with 45 vendors. Today, the market features 70 vendors every Saturday, attracting around 1,500 patrons each week. Mark is a farmer himself. He and his wife have operated a seven-acre urban farm since 2002, growing blueberries, figs, and herbs. Today, they're restoring the land as Cajun Prairie. In addition to running the market, Mark also manages the grounds for Moncas Park. And if I understand this correctly, also a pecan orchard. I can't wait to hear more <laughs> about that. Mark Hernandez, welcome to Out to Lunch. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Okay, Suzanne, we've got a lot to talk about in a short time, but I'm curious, how do you turn gumbo into Sloppy Joes? Well, you know, when you look at any leftovers, it's important not to look at them as something left over, is to look at them as something starting over. So look at leftovers as startovers. So what's a cup of gumbo in its basic sense? It's a cup of soup. So think about all the recipes where you use cans of soup. That's, how, uh, that's kind of the start for gumbo sloppy joes. You're just going to cook it down with ground beef, add mm -hmm. a few secret seasonings in there and items that you can find in my cookbook. And then voila, you totally transform that one cup of gumbo and under $10 you could feed your family of four. Wow. And that all did start. Those ingredients did start somewhere on a farm. So, Mark, I'm curious. I know the vendors at Moncas Park come from all backgrounds, but they... They love their craft. How do you manage 70 vendors? I know there's all those people walking through. Yeah, the, the farmer's market is a wonderful thing to manage, and absolutely, 70, 70 vendors is a lot. So, um, you know, the, the great thing is that the market is a cooperative. So whenever the, the vendors are approved to be, a, to be a vendor, they know that this place is a place that we all come together to cooperate 
And so we have our rules and regulations that they all follow. Um, and it's really an easy thing to manage because it's a happy place and folks are, are, are really happy to be there. Um, and we, we maintain the, the market uh, ambiance by mm -hmm. creating certain um, rules and regulations that uh, create an atmosphere of really joy for the market. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm bringing up something that's near and dear to my heart. Not only do I try to be a good steward, but I do waste a lot of food. And it, it really, it kills me when I think about money that I'm throwing away. Suzanne, how did you get into what you're doing? How did you start focusing on leftovers? Especially nowadays with the price of food, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, unbelievable. I actually started in the restaurant industry when I was there walking around at night and asking customers if they'd like a to-go box for their food. And 55% of restaurant leftovers go to waste. So you think you translate that into money. So I'd ask, hey, would you like a box for those french fries? And they would say, no, I don't like cold french fries. They're not gonna be good the next day. So I'd go in the back, grab a to-go box, pan a quick little recipe for like potato pancakes, bring it back out and say, hey, take these french fries home and you could have breakfast tomorrow or lunch side. Mm -hmm. And I found more people started taking their leftovers home. So that was really my start, how I started, how can I help other people save food, time, and money? And so, Mark, for you, talk about the food vendors. Like if I go to Moncas, Moncas Park, what are the kind of opportunities I'm going to have? Yeah, so we, we are, um, we're a market in which we have five categories of vendors. We have food-based uh, categories, which are prepared foods, value-added, and uh, seafood, mm -hmm. and farm-based. So a farm-based vendor is anyone who can uh, create anything from the farm. So you'll have grass-fed beef and lamb and pork, uh, all the produce. You'll have cut flowers, uh, so honey, all the things that a mm -hmm. farm could produce. We also have prepared foods. So that's an aspect of the market that has really been growing um, substantially in the last year. We have lots of ethnic foods. So this is a, this is a concept of, the, of our market that uh, is kind of rare to find within farmers markets that you actually have people preparing hot foods ready to eat on site. Mm -hmm. um, so those are prepared foods. And like, like I say, of the 75 vendors, we probably have about 20 prepared food vendors. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have a category called value added. So that's jams and jellies. Any, anyone that can uh, cr create um, a good uh, from a raw ingredient. So think of, uh, like I say, jams and jellies and mm -hmm. salsas, those types of things. And then we have baked goods. So any, any baked goods. We have wonderful pizza vendors, uh, wonderful bread vendors, uh, mm -hmm. sweets. Um, uh, like I said, seafood vendors, uh, and then we also have uh, art vendors. So we try to maintain a balance within the uh, market uh, products. Uh, there's, a, there's a certain percentage of each category that we're trying to achieve. Uh, the goal is to create a space that is diverse within the, uh, the product availabilities, and that's always a challenge. Mm -hmm. Now, Suzanne, before we started, you were mentioning that in Baton Rouge, there's a big farmer's market, and you're involved with that. So you cater and you, you cook. Farmers markets are really big across the country, I'm sure, but they talk are. about your involvement yeah. and what you get. I'll, I'll be, I'll be uh, doing a cooking demo at Breadstick Farmers Market. And you know, with all farmers markets, it's still all about education as far as using all the product and having the appreciation of the product. There's a section in my book where I really break it down from the seed on the farm. And let's think about that seed. And then let's think about the farmer, all the work that he's doing, and all the resources going in it. Because when we waste food, it's not just the food alone. It's everything that went into it. Like for instance, if I had my glass of water here, say 25 gallons of water, I'd start pouring on the ground. Everybody would look at me like I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. But has any one of us ever thrown away one apple? Because that's the amount of resources wasted in one apple, 25 gallons of water. So it's time we just need to stop and start appreciating all the hard work that everybody puts into getting the food to our table. I want to follow up on that thought. I mean, this is coming from your heart. It is, it's definitely my passion. It yeah, sure is. yeah. And Mark, you've 
you know, you've had a passion for farming and sustainability. Yeah. And I know you used to actually grow. You would grow blueberries Absolutely. and different things. But if you can touch on that. Yeah, I, about, love, I love that concept of, you know, it, whenever you buy from a farmer, you're able to shake the hand of the food that they grow for you. So the idea of, uh, of wasting that product, whenever you, whenever you understand the amount of effort it takes to create or to grow a mm -hmm. tomato, you know, we're talking about six months labor, uh, and to see the person who uh, is actually growing that and to hand it over to that uh, consumer, I can only imagine it'd be almost impossible to throw that tomato out. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So, th so that, that's that a connection. Yeah, I mean, that's an aspect of farmer's markets that I, I think I just love. It's, it's making connections mm -hmm. um, and creating a, uh, an atmosphere of appreciation uh, around those who prepare, prepare and grow food for... Right. And realizing that we're all in it together. You know, we wouldn't be yeah. eating if it wasn't for all the hard work that our farmers do. Do you uh, grow a garden, Suzanne? Do you? You know, I kid. I do have a very small garden. I do not have a green thumb. And <laughs> I don't either. I, I conduct food waste workshops. And when I do that, I supply everybody with a year's supply of green onions. Because green onions are, are like Jack and the Beanstalk. They're magic. They just regrow and regrow and regrow. So that's one thing that I, I have a great... <laughs> great luck with and it's it's really something and and even the scraps remember how many scraps we can regrow so at all times you'll see you know i'll have celery in my window i'll have lettuce in there before i plant it outside as well mm -hmm. what is a food waste workshop Food Waste Workshop is where I do it for different organizations, some nonprofits, some churches, some schools, and we just address food waste. I mm -hmm. challenge everybody to a one-week food waste challenge, and that is for one week. If you have to throw out any food, if you're not composting it, put it aside in a separate container, and at the end of that week, look at that bag and translate, one, the cost, how much is in that bag that you're throwing away, and two, why is that food in that bag? It's personally, when I started, I realized it was these big, beautiful plates I had that I kept trying to fill up and then people couldn't eat it all, so it was going in the trash. So that was the first thing I did was reduce my plate size, and that helped. So it's mm -hmm. just being aware of why is food being thrown away in the first place. Right. And, you know, if you think about it, I don't use cash like I used to, but if you go to the store or the farmer's market, right, Mark, yep. with cash, you're going to be a lot more aware of what you're buying, whether it's that fresh fish or you know, value-added products. So. Yeah, I mean, one great thing about farmer's markets is that, you know, you almost can't get a more fresh product. So think about it like this, mm -hmm. you know, whenever you go to a, a grocery store, you're buying a, a produce that's been sitting on the shelf for maybe 14 days. It may it was, mm -hmm. maybe was harvested a week prior to that. So it might be 21 days prior to you consuming that product at a farmer's market. The, the farmer is typically harvesting two or three days or maybe the day before the farmer's market. So the shelf life of that product is gonna be substantially more than one that you would buy at a mm -hmm. grocery store. So you could buy a tomato at a farmer's market and in three weeks, it, the quality is still great mm -hmm. uh, compared to that of a, of a grocery store product. So we love that aspect of, of farmer's markets. Uh, mm -hmm. You just can't get a better product. And, and, and farmer's markets, the thing that I love, one, you're supporting local farmers and the value there. But also, there's no cosmetic standards at farmer's markets. You know, I mean, in, a, in so many grocery stores, food is wasted because mm -hmm. the banana doesn't have the perfect curve or the peach isn't the proper size and all that. So at the farmer's market, you're getting, you, like he said, you can't get any fresher, but you're also getting this mm -hmm. beautiful produce as well right. with those slight imperfections. I'm curious when people are buying, like when we walk into the farmer's market, Mark, the vendors are there. What is the relationship between the vendors uh, and, and you in the market? Like, how does all that work? How do you yeah, manage so, that? Yeah, so the relationship is that the vendors, you know, think of it like a, like a mall type setting. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have, a, you have an organization that's uh, supporting the vendors in that we're, we're doing our best, the, uh, the market 
um, leadership to try and get the audience in front mm -hmm. of the, the vendors' tables. And so uh, it's just like this symbiotic relationship. If we don't have vendors, then the audience is going to be difficult to attract. Um, so we, we do our best to, to uh, expose our vendors to the broader, greater audience uh, and to attract people to the market. And what's, what's been wonderful is that our vendors are so committed. I mean, they are there every week, rain or mm -hmm. shine. And, and, you know, the idea that this is a passion for them uh, shows itself in the, in the market. So there could be weeks where we could get rained out three or four weeks in a row. When I say rained out, we're still there, mm -hmm. but maybe their sales are not that great, and yet they come back week after week. And so that's what, really what it takes uh, to create a vibrant market mm -hmm. is that consistency. Uh, and so I, I really just can't give our vendors enough credit because mm -hmm. they are continuing to show up, and uh, the community has really embraced uh, this mm -hmm. market really much more than we had ever anticipated. So uh, it's a beautiful thing. The, the, the ambiance of the market is, is special. Mm -hmm. It's under those beautiful oaks at Monkus Park. It was always uh, agricultural property, so there's this great story around the place, uh, great visibility. So you almost can't go wrong assuming our vendors do what they are doing, it's just right. showing up. So. And I read that it was only like $50 a year for the yeah. vendors to sign up, and then I guess they pay for yeah. each week that yeah, they Yeah, there's a there. little bit of application process. Mm -hmm. There's a $25 application fee. We have a committee that reviews those applications on a monthly basis, uh, and we try and maintain a, a product balance in the market. Um, so not everyone is approved. Um, right, I know, I know you don't want to be selling all soap. Yeah, you know. yeah, I mean, we want we want it to be good for the vendors, mm -hmm. and, but we also want to give the customers enough of an opportunity to be selective in, in their choices. Uh, so once they're approved, uh, they pay a membership fee of $50 annually. That gives them access to the market for the whole year. And then it's an open market, which means they're not required to be there every week. They come and go as they please. We invite them and we encourage them to be there as much as they can because it's just good for business if they, the more they show up. Uh, and then they pay $30 uh, on Thursday prior to the Saturday. For their for their, for their 10 by 10 space. And they bring their own setup, their white tents and tables. and. They don't have to pay a commission on the sales? They don't. Some markets do. We, we have mm -hmm. not uh, done that. That's a little bit too much <laughs> effort. That's a to, lot to of keep, accounting. To keep, huh? Yeah, to keep up with. We're a very small organization. Uh, we have a board of eight, uh, and mm -hmm. myself, and an administrator uh, to, to manage roughly 100, mm -hmm. 100 vendors. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Jan Swift, filling in for Christian Mater. I'm talking with Mark Hernandez of the Lafayette Farmers and Artisans Market and food blogger and cookbook author Suzanne Deplanis. Suzanne, have you ever gone to a farmer's market to sell your book? I want you to talk about Lanyap Leftovers. This is a fascinating book. But it goes hand in hand with markets because in the recipes that I have, it's about like onion skins. I'm going to tell you when you use the recipe, you're, how you wow. to utilize the onion skins, uh -huh. what to do with the corn husk and the silk, how to use the cob. So it's really in my book, it's really a no waste cookbook. And Leftovers in itself, it's, it's prep work's done. So you think about the time savings. So in this book, I like to say, you may not have a cup of gum but how easy is it if you're tight on time to stop by and pick up a cup of gumbo from one of the mm -hmm. restaurants as well? So that's something. And actually, one of my favorite recipes in the book is a pecan pie salmon. Now, people say there's no what? such thing as leftover pie. So I don't mm. call it leftover pie in my book. I call it excess pie. <laughs> but if you wanted to share that last piece of pie in a savory way, it's pecan pie salmon. And that sounds oh, delicious. So what do you do with a corn husk? <laughs> 
I don't think we have enough time for how many things you can do with uh, thinking back to the day. Yeah, Yeah, but well, true. I mean, uh, of course, the husk you could draw them to make tamales. We Mm -hmm. had the corn husk dogs back in the day. It's great for tamales. But the husk and the silk, there's so much flavor. Use it just like you would a cob stock. And the husk and the silk give this woodsy, smoky flavor. Hmm. So it's so good in your Mexican soups, your mushroom soups. And I just did a signing at Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. And you could take that husk and silk stock, turn it into simple syrup. And that woodsy flavor is so good in a bourbon Mm. cocktail. Wow. I want to mention how beautiful your book is. And I read that Dr. Thomas Quaid was your, your your artist. He illustrated for he, you. I am so blessed to, one, call him a friend, but two, to have him as my illustrator. He not only designed the cover work on the book, which is a retro-style refrigerator, because I do want everybody to think outside of the ice box. but when I did my cookbook, I wanted it to be, have three things in it. One, I wanted it to be reminiscent of a vintage-style cookbook, because I loved yeah. growing up on those. So I wanted it to look like a cookbook that was passed down from generation to generation. So there's no color photos, but there's black and white chapter sketches, which mm-hmm. is what you to see in those cookbooks. And he just made my cookbook come to life with this beautiful, detailed sketches. Even to the Meemaw's House We Go chapter that's all about the holiday leftovers, I had a pet boxer when I was little. And if you look in the back seat of the wagon is my boxer dog in the back seat. So his details in the pictures are just uh-huh. are just unbelievable. And then with my cookbook, I knew my Meemaw's mock shoe would be my last recipe in the cookbook because the cookbook is in honor of her. And three, I knew I wanted it to be very inexpensive. I didn't want to say, mm-hmm. hey, buy this book and save time, food, and money, but she had cough off a lot to pay for it. So it retails for under $15. Yeah, that's a bargain. Meemaw was your inspiration. Mark, did you have an inspiration for being an outdoors guy, for studying landscape? Yes, you know, I absolutely uh, did. Uh, growing up, my, my grandmother lived not too far from the house, and uh, my grandmother loved to garden. Uh, and she, um, she housed her great uncle, Uncle Ernest LeBlanc. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had no children. He loved to garden. And he was probably 95 years old when I was a kid. And so I would go over to my grandmother's house and see him gardening. And there's one image of him sitting on the front porch. He, he was, had to have been 95 years old. And he was collecting seeds from a vinca uh, flower in, you know, in, the, in the garden. And that image has stuck with me all these years, thinking at 95 years old, the idea of being so hopeful of your future that you're gonna collect seeds for next year. And so when my grandmother passed away, we would go through her house and find all these little medicine bottles, these little plastic medicine bottles with seeds that he collected from years and years and years and years. And so that was kind of an inspiration. And I just, I just loved uh, being around him and my mm-hmm. grandmother. Uh, she really just, uh, you know, pumped me up for all things gardening. And then once, uh, once I, you know, had enough little, little space in my backyard to kind of manage my own little garden and to see the, to see that uh, your efforts could create something as yeah. as nutritious and as uh, life-giving as a garden. I was hooked at a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, my f- high school friends thought I was weirdo because I loved to garden and not really do the things that they did. Uh, and really, I just never looked back. And I just knew this is what I wanted to do f- uh, for a living mm-hmm. since I was a young kid. And I'm really fortunate to be able to do these things. And you know, the idea now that our, my profession has kind of my my career is kind of. Uh, transitioned and to be able to help other people yeah. uh, achieve these things is really a blessing for me. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to be where I am. Mm-hmm. Grandmas are the best. I remember my grandmother just drying the tomato seeds, you know, because really? she had a beautiful garden. Everything went back, you know, in the garden. It was yeah. full circle. So. Drying the seeds. Yeah. 
They didn't waste anything, did they? did they? not waste anything. I mean, anything from breakfast and it found their way in lunch. Lunch went into dinner. Mm-hmm. I mean, even now, you know, it's kind of a joke if we're out with friends and that. If there's one hush puppy on my plate, everybody kids with me. It's like, you're putting that in your purse, aren't you? And I was like, absolutely. That one hush puppy's coming home. I may have some green beans that night. I'm going to crumble it crumble over the it. green beans. Absolutely. So you've never been at a loss, Suzanne, for any any leftover like I've been called the mad scientist mm-hmm. of leftovers my mind you know just thinks in these crazy ways but if you if you really look at the leftover for truly what it is and break it down you know years ago the deconstructed dishes were big and when you're working with leftovers you just have to have kind of view it like that and just break down mm-hmm. the ingredients Mark do you cook You know I I I cooked more uh when my wife and I first married 15 years ago I feel like we we go through this transition she she cooked for for, or I cooked for about eight, eight or ten years, then she cooked for eight or ten years. So lately I've been a little bit busy, and she's, she's been taking over the cooking. I do love to cook on Sundays, though. So mm-hmm. I'll cook a big roast or something like that on, great on Sundays. Yeah, yes, yes, Sundays. Great for leftovers. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Suzanne, what's your favorite recipe? I mean, I, I did see German pancakes that looked delicious with that leftover was, yeah, French fries. Yeah, that was the fries. one that really got my start, you know, in the restaurant uh-huh. industry that I'd pin on there. Uh, like I said, pecan pie salmon's one of my favorite, but I have some that are, you know, coconut curry red beans over cashew rice cakes is really that. Even though these are really Louisiana-based, if you think about some of the classic Louisiana dishes, they're based off of leftovers. I mean, mm-hmm. look at hush puppies and red beans and rice Mondays. So I want this cookbook really to, let's create new leftover Louisiana recipes that really have that little ethnicity to it. So, you know, I have the coconut curry red beans in there, uh, even with jambalaya, just changing mm-hmm. it up with pepper jelly. I do jambalaya mm-hmm. nachos. We're in a nice Mexican place here, so I do jambalaya nachos in yeah. there. How do you sell your cookbook? Like, how can we buy Lanyap leftovers? Lanyap leftovers can be found on Amazon, of course, but it also uh, your local bookshops can order it for you, and there are at the Barnes and & Nobles, mm-hmm. and you can also go to my website at makeovermyleftover.com for the link to purchase it as well. Mark, there are apparently plans to move Moncus Park Market indoors. Is that is that yes, right? Yes. Well, uh, since day one, you know, we've always um, promoted the idea of possibly having a farmers market pavilion where we can get out of the weather whenever it is yeah. inclement. Uh, and so, luckily, we've we've uh, Moncus Park has uh, received a, a generous donation from the Schumacher Family Foundation, oh. along with Lita and um, some state capital outlay money that we can. Uh, create this really beautiful open air kind of like a european style mm-hmm. uh farmer's market pavilion um so that's slated to get started uh, later in the fall and it'll probably be about a 10-month project but it's a beautiful s- facility uh and really it'll just elevate the the market um more than what it is now i mean we love the space that we're in we love the ambiance of the oak trees we're kind of outgrowing the space i mean that uh you know so uh, the farmer's market pavilion will be able to house about 30 to 40 vendors so we'll still have overflow vendors under the beautiful oak trees right but yeah we're really excited about that our vendors have been waiting for it for now going on 10 years mm-hmm. uh, and so it's come to fruition and it'll happen so yeah. we're excited about that. And it'll be kind of like a multi-use space. Mm-hmm. So Saturday mornings, 8 to 12, will be Farmer's Market. It may have a wedding uh, Saturday evenings. Oh, Who knows? I mean, it's really Great a... Idea. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful space. And, it, and it's going to be a real asset. a caterer. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Suzanne can come yeah. and yeah. I'd probably love on to. a budget, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, no food waste in my catering <laughs> as well, which is hard, you know, when yeah. you're educating people on the proper amount to order. Because everybody... You know, mm-hmm. I always say this world of overabundance is slowly killing our world. You know, because mm-hmm. we just feel, you know, even the, the fresh fruit that we have mm-hmm. in our house, sometimes we think, well, we'll just go and get some more the next day. But what happens if you couldn't go the next day and get any? You'd really value that food more. Yeah. Like during COVID, yeah. we Absolutely. really valued it. Yeah. Now, how would you use leftover wedding cake? 
wedding cake would make great cake balls, of course. That's an <laughs> easy one. Um, but I also, any kind of cake really does well when you make pedophores, just recreating it in that. And in mm. the cookbook, I have a, a go-to supply list, I call it, where I have, it's about two pages long of lists. Anything can be frozen because we're not going to buy something that we can't, you know, put in the freezer or it will go bad. Mm-hmm. But having that go-to supply list really makes budgeting and it really stretches your leftovers as well. Right. So as we're kind of winding down, I'm curious about the $2,200 figure that was thrown out about wasting. I, I hate to say it. I, I think I waste more than that every year. I, I, I hate to admit that. And, and a, a good visual, it's really up to 20 pounds of food per person per month if you want a visual. And there's a great documentary. I did the, a Baton Rouge premiere of it a few years back called Just Eat It, a food waste story. And there's this image in there. And once you kind of get it in your head, you really can't get rid of it. So there's this lady walking out of the grocery store. She has four bags of groceries. She drops one. She never turns around and picks it back mm-hmm. up. That's equal to the amount of food waste that we have based on an average grocery store trip. Yeah. And I know, Mark, as a farmer, after growing, you know, belovedly, yeah. tending the soil to think about people yeah. wasting. But even me, hurts. you know, with, with that kind of understanding, I'm, I'm like you. I'm the same. I'm sure we waste equally that. So it's something that we're going to do better at. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and, you know, meal planning is really big nowadays. Everybody's like, let's do the meal planning for the week. And I'm kind of on the, the out on that. I am not an advocate for meal planning for the week because I think life gets in the way sometimes, and that's where a lot of food waste comes. So say you go to the store the one big trip, and you, oh, we're going to have spaghetti meatballs on Wednesday night, and then you forgot the kids have a soccer game or something, or you work late, you come home, you don't feel like cooking, let's order a pizza. It's pushed to the next day, but you had something else on the scope the next day, and it just goes down the line. Right. I will say one of my favorite leftovers is meatballs spaghetti on evangelically made bread the day after. Oh, yeah, mm. nothing like a, nothing like a spaghetti good. meatball. Yeah, and spaghetti meatballs makes great pizza, too. Yeah. Now, Mark, you've learned I, a I'm lot, huh? That. I have to go home. I'll try that. <laughs> Not to mention I have, like, ten ways to do leftover pizza with on my website as well. <laughs> Candy corn, the holidays were coming up, so all kind of crazy stuff. I've enjoyed this so much. I think we can all agree that good food is not only good food when it comes straight from the garden or from the back of your fridge, but when it's lovingly prepared and tended. I want to thank you both, Suzanne Duplantis and and Mark Hernandez. Thank you for everything you're doing. And thank you both for coming today to Out to Lunch in Lafayette. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. I appreciate you. Our guests today on Out to Lunch Acadiana have been Suzanne Duplantis, author of the cookbook, Lanyap Leftovers, and the blog, Makeover My Leftover, and Mark Hernandez, market director at the Lafayette Farmers and Artisans Market. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRVS. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Suzanne's leftovers and Mark's market and Prairie Farm by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app and on our website. It's acadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from the show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos are taken by Astor Morgan. You can find more of Astor's photos at astormorgan.com. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morell. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. And today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. Thank you, Dylan. I'm Jan Swift, filling in for Christian Mater. 
He'll be back next time for more business and conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Thank you for joining us. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.